I do have something I wanted to add. Um, What's that? Is that today I found out, well, it wasn't today. I actually saw it a while ago, but I saw another video about it. There's this person on TikTok who makes uh, videos talking about um, their, like, Jewish faith and are, like, trying to, like, can, like, tell people that they are wrong when they're talking about Dybbuk boxes because Dybbuk boxes are not real. Yeah. Uh, because Dybbukum are, like, only attached to living people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wasn't a thing I knew or remembered. You, if you find that, send that to me. I might cover that next week. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, I'm Rachel, and I'm Grace. This is Myths and Misfortunes. I know you've heard of us because we are on episode 70. And if you haven't heard us and you're listening to episode 70... What are you doing? Good for you. What? Good job. I mean, yeah, good job. Thanks for listening to us backwards. for finding us. Yeah. There's really no rhyme or reason. There's no order to our podcast. It is absolutely not going to change your life, but I like to think it will. What are you talking about? We change everyone's lives. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. Where are we at this week, Grace? This week, we are in Ghana, Africa. Yay! Some place that you do not learn about in at least American history classes. You learn very you really little. Don't. You learn very, very little about Africa, the continent in general. Mm-hmm. And the only time they cover it is really during, like, when we learn about slavery and during Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And it is not lost on me that we we are doing this during Black History Month. That was literally by accident. <laughs> <laughs> literally by accident. I only realized it last week as I was, like, looking through all of the episodes. I was like, oh, that's... I did that. Well, it works. Here we are. Here we are, and hopefully we have some good stories for you today. Yes, yeah, some, definitely some interesting stories. Yes. Uh, my sources for history are tracingcenter.org, <sighs> worldguides.com, wikipedia, historyworld.net, thoughtco, bbc.com, independent.co.uk. Nice. So, there. Ghana is one of the 54 countries, some say 56 countries in Africa. There's apparently a debate about how many countries there are in Africa. 
I didn't I, I didn't write down anything about it. I didn't get a chance to look into it. Um, the, the other but, two countries have seceded from their state. Well, I, I think it's probably something like that. There's probably, like, internal strife within the, within the country and, like, some of them want to separate or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So the thing is, so you were right about it being, like a small country and like it it is a small country um like here it is oh hold on i gotta minimize my window okay oh shoot it is there and like well compared to larger states it it's small but it it like yeah it's got a lot going on just like all of the other ones yeah it's got a lot going on and humans have lived there for like in the area for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Ghana was recognized as one of the great kingdoms in the region by the 9th century, and it was inhabited in the Middle Ages and the Age of Discovery by a number of ancient, predominantly Akan kingdoms in the southern and central territories. This included the Ashanti Empire, the Akwamu, the Bonomen, uh, the Denkira, and the Mankesim Kingdom. And these kingdoms later became, uh, a lot of these kingdoms later became states beginning in the 13th century. The Ashanti Empire that ruled in the area, an area that was basically most of Ghana, actually ruled the area from 1640 to 1902 until the British eventually quote, conquered them. The Ashanti Empire that later became a state actually ruled this area for a very long time, starting in 1604. And then prior to Akan contact with Europeans, the Akan people created an advanced economy based on like gold and trading. The Akan traded with European states began after contact with the Portuguese in the 15th century, whose main focus was gold and established the Portuguese Gold Coast. By 1598, the Dutch had joined the Portuguese in the gold trade, establishing the Dutch Gold Coast. Other European traders had joined in gold trading by the mid-17th century, including the Swedes, establishing the Swedish Gold Coast, and Denmark-Norway, establishing the Danish Gold Coast. And the Gold Coast that I'm mentioning, they were all colonies. They weren't taking over the same large stretch one after the other, um, although there was a lot of fighting over territory. Unfortunately, gold wasn't the only focus. Between 1482 and 1786, dozens of forts and castles were built along the coast for trading, not just of gold and goods, but due to the growing demand for human labor in the Americas and the Caribbean, slavery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, these castles in Ghana gradually filled with enslaved Africans who were shipped out to other countries on ships through the Middle, middle Passage, which ended in the Caribbean. Okay. These ships were often packed, like so packed that they were literally stacked on top of each other. They were chained and didn't get enough food or water, and enslaved Africans who were sick were simply thrown overboard to keep infection from spreading, which is one of the things that I do remember learning in school. One of the few things out of all of this that I remember. I don't remember them throwing sick ones overboard. You don't remember that? Mm -mm. Maybe I just had more honest or um you probably did educated teacher you probably <laughs> the, at did. the time approximately between between 10 to 10 to 12 million enslaved people were transported in the transatlantic slave trade at rates of up to 100,000 persons per year so about and about 10 to 15% died at sea or were killed at sea during the middle passage yeah 
Many of those castles uh, and forts have been preserved and attract thousands of visitors as part of the Slave Route Project of the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. In addition to preservation efforts, Ghana also made efforts to encourage descendants of enslaved Africans to learn more about their history because descendants might be eligible for special visas and the government has instituted programs to encourage Ghanaians to welcome people from the African diaspora. And for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's the many communities of people of African descent dispersed throughout the world as a result of mainly slavery, Mm -hmm. um, ones that resulted from the Arab and Atlantic slave trades, which were the largest forced migrations in history. Yeah. The slave trade was gradually abolished by each each of the colonial powers in the first half of the 1800s, and once the Dutch left Ghana, the British gained possession of all Dutch coastal forts, making them the dominant European power on the Gold Coast. And things were not good. Pretty bad during this time between the colonial powers of West Africa and the natives, primarily the Ashanti, and there were a lot of wars and revolts. In 1807, Britain used its naval power and its diplomatic muscle to outlaw trade in enslaved Africans by its citizens and started a campaign to stop the international trade in slaves. The British withdrawal helped to decrease the slave trade, but did not stop it, obviously. The importation of slaves into the United States was outlawed in 1808, but it really didn't matter until the 1860s. It just kept happening because of the demand for plantation labor in demand in quotes demand. um for plantation labor in the, the new world i don't really like that it's called the new world this, this entire like sentence is in quotation marks literally the entire sentence some historians say that humanitarian concerns like as well as social and economic factors were the main reasons for ending the african slave trade But other historians, such as the first prime minister to Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Eric Williams, said Europe only abolished transatlantic slave trade because its profitability was undermined by the impending industrial revolution, (laughs) which I'm not going to agree or disagree with. You make your own judgment. Mm. But Mm. in the late 1800s, cacao. (laughs) Cocoa. Cacao. I know it is cacao. Was introduced to the Gold Coast along with other new crops. Cocoa exports went from zero to one of the largest in the world, making it a huge part of the economy. Because it was so profitable for them, it led to more schools being built. And by the end of the Second World War, the Gold Coast colony was the richest and most educated territory in West Africa. One of the most richest Mm -hmm. and educated territories in West Africa. With such an educated environment, the focus of government power kind of shifted from the governor and his officials to the people themselves because mm-hmm. and after years of this strife this led to ghana to being the first black african nation to win independence good this event is marked in the capital city of Accra by its independence arch which is similar to the arc de triomphe in paris which now serves as one of the capital's main landmarks Okay. The first president of Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah, made a lot of changes, some of which were not great for the economy. I literally just watched a video that called him a devil. <laughs> so, um, okay. this led to him being overthrown by a military coup in 1966, which preceded many 
many coups until 1891 when the Constitution was suspended and Lieutenant Jerry Rawlings took power. Ghana went into decline with a lot of the a lot of the citizens leaving. They just migrated to other countries. But for, I mean, for good reason, though. Yeah, fair. And then multi-party politics was restored in 1992 with Rawlings in charge, and the country eventually became a stable democracy after John Mills was elected as a legitimate president. And although politically stable, Ghana's economy is sort of, like, stagnant. In 2007, new oil reserves were discovered, and this added to Ghana's wealth and resources, but hasn't really brought a boost to their economy. And today, Ghana is thought to be West Africa's most stable democracies, which makes it interesting that there was a lot of tension and some violence surrounding the presidential election last year, with one of the candidates saying there was election, or he alleged election fraud. Yeah, alleged election fraud. Really common all over the world. I mean, but um, but Ghana's Supreme Court uh, upheld the new president's uh, victory, and that brings us up to current. So popular destinations include the Cape Coast, Molin National Park, Kakum National Park, and Accra, like the entire city just overflowing. Nice, (laughs) nice. I did see some pictures of the country. Some areas look so beautiful. Well, that's pretty much everywhere. There are certain areas that are just so That's true. That's really true. want to just sit and just stare and look and I think that's everywhere in the world like regardless yeah I did see a picture it was a beach Basua beach Beach, St. George's Castle which is one of those castles that I mentioned that were part of the slave trade but there are some interesting places um I don't know about their current travel restrictions um or even ours at this point because I'm not even bothering to that's fine it's fine. It's fine. Okay. So, my story this week is the murder of Ahmed Hussein Swale Divella. I could not find how to pronounce his last name because most of the time he just goes by Ahmed Hussein Swale. Okay. So, um, my sources are two articles from cpj.org, aljazeera.com, cnn.com, wikipedia.com, bbc.com, assassination.globalinitiative.net, cjr.org, globaljournalist.org, and forbiddenstories.org. I also found the original documentary that I speak about a little bit later in the story, but I didn't watch the documentary. Okay. I didn't get a chance. So, Ahmad Hussein Swale de Vela was born December 5th, 1987. He grew up with eight siblings in Wulnesi, um, a small town in northern Ghana. He took an extreme interest in politics, and by 18, he moved to Accra in order to study political science at Ghana University. And this is where he met Anas Eremeyao Anas. At this time, Anas had already made a name for himself as an undercover investigative journalist. And he was preparing a team for himself that would later become known as Tiger Eye. 
Like many of the early Tiger Eye employees, Ahmed sought out Anas in order to be mentored in his ways. Hmm. Anas responded the way he did to everyone who sought him out, and that was to send Ahmed on a mission, a sort of test. His test was to travel to Tema, north of Accra, and report on a story there about cocaine. Hmm. He did as he was instructed and promptly blew his cover and was arrested. Oh, shit. Having not met his expectations, Anas wrote off Ahmed as just another failed recruit. However, Ahmed was ready for undercover investigations and wrote a long letter explaining that he should be given another chance. Not only was he given another chance, Ahmed then proceeded to excel at every investigation he was put on. This mm. soon brought him to be Anas's right-hand man. Nice. So seriously, if you do a Google search of Anas, Aramiel Anas, so many Google, like, hits. Mm -hmm. This guy's serious. He, um... Just wait. I do mention it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, like, really excited about him because uh, he's good. He's great. The Tiger Eye team uh, described Ahmed as bold despite his natural, quiet, and unassuming nature. But this was what made him great for investigative journalism. That, along with being super attentive and diligent, he was the go-to for any information on a case that the team was working on. Mm. Like, he memorized everything. In 2013, Ahmed and Anas traveled to northern Ghana on Ahmed's first big story. They were going to expose witch doctors who were poisoning children that were believed to be possessed by evil spirits. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Tiger Eye team arranged for the witch doctor and his concoction men to visit a family home with a supposed possessed child. While the men were outside creating the potion, they said uh, would release the demon from the child. The Tiger Eye team switched the baby with a fake, and when the oh. men returned and grabbed the decoy baby, police swooped in for the arrest. The executing of this plan impressed Anas, especially when Ahmed did not hesitate to enter the witch doctor's shrine. Because, according to Anas, the average African is afraid of old traditions and gods. Mm-hmm. That'll come up in my story. Good. Glad I can tie it in there. In 2015, Ahmed and Anas started on a story that resulted in the exposure of a widespread corruption among Ghana's judiciary. Ooh, yeah. Judges and court workers were shown taking bribes to influence the outcome of cases. I'm really glad that you went over this because it was one of the things I was going to put in my history, but I was like, was it? yeah, it was, but I was like, this is getting a bit long. <laughs> well, it's just a very brief mention, just mm. very brief, because there's some great documentaries. That's why I was so excited about Anas. It's There's some great documentaries. Over 30 judges and 170 judicial officers were shown taking these bribes. This resulted in seven of the nation's 12 high court judges to be suspended from their roles. Wow. And this was a three-hour documentary, which, of course, uh, in turn, because of such the turnout um, of people being suspended from their jobs, catapulted Anas and his team into fame. Yeah, I bet. In 2018, the Tiger Eye investigative team was brought a grim story from Malawi. Henry Mengo brought to the team's attention a story about muti, which is the practice of harvesting human body parts for good luck rituals. Oh. Once the team was in Malawi, they set up a meeting with two men who said that they would kill children for their body parts. Holy shit. They drove with the men to the outskirts of a small village in order to negotiate. However, the villagers noticed these strange men lurking behind the trees and suspected that they were child killers. Go figure. 
They of course go and attack the men, kicking and punching them before resorting to other weapons such as rocks and knives. Oh, wow. The Tiger Eye team was saved by another group of villagers who helped them reach the house of the village chief. As the attackers were trying to knock in the door of the house, Ahmed told Mango, who was deeply terrified and shaking at this point, to forget his surroundings and be strong. These were the kind of events that encouraged them to fight evil and report on these things. Dang. Eventually, the team made it out safely, but Ahmed kept in contact with Mango and became a sort of mentor to him. Shortly after this investigation, Ahmed and Anas began a story that would inevitably cost Ahmed his life. The documentary number 12 was an investigation into the corruption of football refereeing. Mm. Refereeing. Refereeing. <laughs> refereeing. We are rearing the football. Uh, football refereeing. And this is football in the sense of non-American football. Like, this is, this is soccer. Right. So, for you Americans listening, like me, soccer. <laughs> um... Nearly 100 football officials accepted cash bribes in order to sway the game in the direction of the team wanted, including a Kenyan referee who was set to officiate the upcoming World Cup. This led to several bans and resignations, including that of Kwesi Nanchichi, um, or as my American phonics want to say, Niantaki, who was the head of the Ghanan Football Association and of FIFA's Elite Council, ELEAF. Nantichi had flown to Dubai for a meeting with whom he thought was a sheikh who was interested in investing in Ghanaian football. He was offered 65,000 US dollars, which he gladly took, which, by the way, you can see in the documentary that I found. Okay. At the end of the negotiations, Nantichi wrote by hand in English a memorandum of understanding to establish a partnership between Medgolf, which was an investment company, and Namax, which is a partner company who was owned by Nantichi himself. Oh. According to this handwritten document, he would take 5% of the total amount for himself and 30% for the company. Oh. So 5% of 65,000. I'm sorry, you said how much? 5%? 5%. 3,250. Yes. 30% is 19,5. After this came to light and public attention was focused on it, Nanchiki was banned from football for life, which very much to the delight to many fans who were tired of the corruption in the sport. It also apparently infuriated a lot of Ghana's powerful people. On May 30th, 2018, Kennedy Ejapong, who was a member of Parliament, spoke out against the number 12 documentary. At one point during his televised interview, he showed a picture of Ahmed, revealing that he had been the undercover reporter responsible for the mass firings of football officials. That is so dangerous. So dangerous. He then said word for word, obviously this is translated, But he said, you all know that this Ahmed lives in Medina, pointing (gasps) to the street behind him, which I mean, it's a, it's like a cul-de-sac city type area. Wherever you meet him, slap him and smash his ears. If he comes to these offices, beat him. Whatever happens, I'll pay because he's bad, this Ahmed. And another time on live TV during another of his outbursts, he's a very angry man. He drew a finger across his neck in a throat-splitting gesture while speaking about Ahmed. I don't know. I have no idea why this guy is so pissed off other than he had some sort of, like, big stake in football or something. I don't know. If I 
if I, I if that happened, I wouldn't want to admit that I was involved in that. I wouldn't no. want to send people. I is I. That's wild. Amid his newfound publicity, Ahmed was advised by his family and Anas alike to take a back seat and get out of Ghana for a short period. However, he was of a mindset that he did nothing wrong. Um, what he did do was to save the nation. So there was no reason to leave. Although he did agree to stay away from the family home for a short period, though. But that didn't last long because he felt the safest at his home and in his mosque and surrounded by family and friends. Because, I mean, he had three kids and a wife. Yeah, it's kind of hard to stay away from your family like that. Yeah, I would not want to stay away from my family for that long, let alone if I had kids and, and, well, in this case, a husband, but... Right. Yeah. However, around uh, September of 2018, Ahmed did contact the committee to protect journalists because he was fearful his life was in danger. Mm. On January 16th, 2019, Ahmed left his brother's house in his blue BMW in order to get home to a sick son. Little did he know as he was pulling out from his brother's house that he would be followed by two men on a motorbike. Oh, no. As the bike closed in on the BMW, leveling with it, one of the men pulled out a gun and shot into the driver's side window. Ahmed lost control of the car and crashed into a nearby roadside store. The motorbike pulled up behind the car and one of the men dismounted and calmly walked up to the driver's side of the BMW. He fired two more shots at Ahmed before turning to the crowd that had begun to gather and placing a finger on his lips. What the fuck? So, because the men didn't seem too eager to leave the crime scene, initial witnesses actually thought that perhaps a movie was being filmed. Like, you know, the midnight hours of a movie, sometimes they will film at night when it's pitch black and dark. I mean, I guess, but nobody's got a camera. Besides Uh that fact, when members of the crowd came closer to the shutout window, they realized that the man behind the wheel was no actor and that he was actually dead. I guess there is a sort of thing like seeing something that seeing something that crazy yeah think it's a stunt or something that's being filmed you don't you don't want to believe that something like that would actually happen especially right in front of you right in a busy intersection in a busy street you don't want to think about that yeah forensics later showed that all three shots hit ahmed two in the chest and the final fatal shot to the neck all eyes immediately turned to Ajab Hong and his rallying of people to do Ahmed harm. After a brief questioning, he was released from suspicion. He was even later quoted saying, I had nothing to do with his murder, but I have no regrets. No. Did I do it? No. Mm, sounds like Trump. Mm. The day after the shooting... Ghanaian President Nana Akufo-Addo posted on Twitter that he expected the police to swiftly bring the perpetrators to justice. However, with the line of work Ahmed and Anas were in, making enemies was all too easy, as noted by the above stories. In fact, according to one anonymous informant, he had received at least four offers to gun Anas down. Holy shit. Yeah, so just imagine what his right-hand man, who actually Four. shows his face. Speaking of, I did not mention this, Anas, he wears a veil of beads so mm. no one can see his face. Oh. No one knows what he looks like. Except so for, like, the people know? closest to him. What do you mean, how do they know? How did they How did they know that they were following him? If they couldn't... D- just in general, he wears that? Anas um, oh, is Nos, not the person. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Anas. I, sorry, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 
That's why I was like, Anas himself received four offers to gun down Anas. Imagine okay. his right-hand man who does not hide his face. Right. So, at least Anas, if he takes off the beaded veil, no one knows who he is. Right. In February of 2019, it was disclosed that six people had been arrested in connection with Ahmed's murder. They had all been interrogated and statements were taken before they were released on bail. Mm. In fact, because of how many witnesses there were, the police apparently had very accurate descriptions of what the killers looked like and even sounded like. Good. Wow. They were strangers to the area. And in a small section of the city, like Medina, everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you notice when there are tourists. The Tiger Eye Investigation Group did their own investigating, obviously, because the police were getting nowhere. And, you know, this was one of their own. Mm -hmm. So they were able to actually establish two sketches of the supposed killers. Oh, wow. These are the two killers. Those are incredibly detailed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. According to Anas's team, after a neighborhood survey, they were able to identify that at least three people had come in contact with these men on the day of the killing. However, the witnesses were too fearful to bring this information to the police mm. for obvious reasons. Yeah. And they didn't want to get in trouble. The police apparently have a bad reputation in the working class neighborhoods. In fact, one of the witnesses quickly moved to Komasi in the center of the country. Another was a little bit more willing to speak with Anas's team, even confirming that the sketches of the men they had were super accurate. According to the witness, the younger person was the one driving the motorbike, and this gentleman in his 50s, with a scar above his eyebrow, so I'll show you again, was the shooter. Hmm. He also quietly confided to the Tiger Eye investigative team that the police had come to him on the 22nd of January and ordered him to not say anything to anyone. Uh, Mm. uh, okay. And the police told him not to say anything? The police told, supposedly, according to this person, the police ordered him to not say anything. Okay. To not tell anything about what he saw. Okay. So, sounds sketchy to me. And also, just to give you an idea of the type of person that Ahmed was, I'm just going to read a section of an article from BBC.com, because he's just, he's, he was a really good guy. As well as his own three children, Hassan Swali had taken in a nephew, the son of a brother who died in the line of duty as a policeman, and he supported numerous extended family members. He covered university fees, contributed to wedding funds, and paid for the upkeep on houses. He was naturally generous, said his brother Camille, and that is how we were raised, he said. If you have something small, you share. Mm. End quote. Despite constant pleas from the committee to protect journalists, no other information is available from the police on this unsolved murder. Unsolved, Rachel! You are welcome! I also do have to mention um, two things real fast, and that really is all I have. Ahmed's murder was the first murder in 2019. They have a very low murder rate. Oh, okay. Granted, it was in January, but they still have a very low murder rate. And in the days after his death, floods of applications were received by Tiger Eye Investigations by young Ghanaian journalists who wanted to follow in the footsteps of Ahmed. So as tragic as his life ending was... He inspired a inspired lot of yeah a lot of people. Rachel Grace, you really do go for those unsolved stories, huh? Look, it was either this one or one from like the 1920s, and I was like, this. I feel like this one needs to be told a little bit more <laughs> because 
It is also important to note that in Ghana, in a lot of countries in Africa, journalism is severely repressed. Yeah. So it's important. Story. So there needs to be some some not standards. There needs to be something to to help journalists. Yeah. Which is what the committee to protect journalists does. And that's not just in Africa, that's all over the world. Hmm. I didn't know that was even a thing. Yeah. The Committee to Protect Journalists is an American independent, nonprofit, non governmental organization based in New York City, uh, with correspondents around the world. Cool. And that is the unsolved murder of Ahmad Hussan Swali. Devella. That's a that was a, what is your story? My story is about a Nazi. A Nazi? No. <laughs> That's what I heard. A Nazi. A Nazi. Oh, okay. A Nazi. So my sources are Britannica.com, Wikipedia, mythology.wikia.org, MythEncyclopedia.com, V-A-M-Z-Z-Z.com, Gateway-Africa.com, Wikipedia and Wikipedia. Those last two I didn't really use very much. They were mainly just slight references. Anansi is a trickster god of stories originating from the Ashanti tradition. In stories, he's most commonly shown as a spider, although both he and his wife, Aso, can change form and may be depicted as humanoid in some stories. And in some, Anansi is anthropomorphized spider with a human face or, like, the complete opposite, a human with spider-like features, like eight legs, Mm -hmm. which pictures of it, like, art of it is really interesting. Spider tails are found extensively yes spider tails spider tails no like tails as in stories stories. okay i was gonna say because spiders don't have tails (laughs) (laughs) the stories originating from ghana are some of the most popular because anansi's name comes from the word in the akan language for spider so stories of anansi became such prominent and familiar part of the oral culture that the word which translates to spider tales came to represent all kinds of fables. Okay. So Anansi seems like a um, a multifaceted god and in some tales he's credited with like the creation of sun, moon, stars and planets and in others he's thought to be the one who brought writing, agriculture and hunting to earth, teaching humans how to take care of themselves and in others he can even make it rain. He's very All right. A lot of He's very talented god. Love yes. him. So I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. A well-known tale depicts how Anansi was able to win a collection of stories from Niame, the almighty creator and sky god. This one seems to have multiple variations. In one story, Anansi, in his form as a spider, approached Niame and asked him to appoint him as king of all wisdom narratives. Niame was Aww. amazed at the audacity of Anansi and thought that... The audacity. The audacity. And if he had the courage to approach the sky god in such a direct fashion, then he should be given the chance to prove himself. He told him, if you can catch and capture the jaguar who has dagger-like teeth, the hornets who sting like wildfire, and the invisible fairy of the forest, you you can be king of the wisdom narratives. Okay. Niame thought Anansi would refuse because the likelihood of anyone succeeding was so low. Mm-hmm. However, he agreed to the challenge. He went to the jaguar and asked him to play a game that would allow him to tie him up with a rope. So the jaguar agreed and Anansi got the rope and tied him up. He tricked the hornets by telling them it was raining and since he could make it rain, it didn't hurt. <laughs> 
and he told the hornets that they could hide themselves in a calabash or gourd that he had prepared for them. Once they went into the gourd, he put the lid on, trapping them. He told the invisible fairy to fight a tar baby. To fight a tar baby? Fight a tar baby. And when it did, it was stuck to the tar and couldn't escape. Oh my. Anansi took them all to Niame and showed him that he had succeeded, and Niame named him king of all wisdom narratives. There are versions of other Anansi stories that show him being defeated or almost defeated. For example, and once he was tricked into fighting, he like he was tricked into fighting a tar baby after trying to take some food from the creature and he got stuck. And others involve like a tiger being the one with the stories instead of Naomi, and that one is mainly in Jamaica. Okay. In another popular version of that story, there were no stories in the world and the sky god Naomi had them all. And he wanted those stories, so he went and asked if he could buy them instead of if he could be king of those stories. Niame didn't want to give up his stories, so he set what he thought was a price too high. He told Anansi he had to capture four of the most dangerous creatures in the world. Onini the python, Mumboro hornets, Osebo the leopard, and the fairy Mimosia. Undaunted, Anansi promised to bring Naomi these four things and even added his own mother to the list for extra measure. And with the help of his wife, he was able to capture them all and convince his mother to come help him. I thought you were going to say with the help of his wife, he was able to capture his mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she was a fearsome being. (laughs) I mean, have you met mothers? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... So in another story, um, another well-known story, Anansi asks uh, the sky god Niame for an ear of corn and promises to repay with a hundred servants. He takes the corn to a village and tells the people it's sacred. During the night, he feeds the corns to the chickens. The next morning, he accuses the villagers of stealing the corn and they give him a bushel of it to make up for the lost ear. Anansi next meets a man on the road and exchanges the corn for chicken. He visits another village and tells the people the chicken is sacred. That night, he kills the chicken, and the next morning, the frightened villagers give him ten sheep to replace it. He later (laughs) exchanges those those sheep for a corpse, which he takes to a third village and tells the people that it's the sleeping son of God. Yes. When the villagers can't wake the corpse the next morning, he says they have killed the sky god's son and so these terrified villagers offer him up a hundred of their finest young men and he takes them to niame to fulfill his part of the bargain so this is one persuasive bastard he's a trickster so which is what a trickster is yes Yes. (laughs) okay yeah so in other stories anansi has the knowledge but wants more but doesn't want to share it same Yeah. (laughs) In one popular tale, Anansi, already very clever, wanted more knowledge, so he decided to gather all the wisdom he could and keep it in a safe place away from people. He collected all the wisdom in the world and sealed it inside a pot. He didn't think it was safe enough, though, so he took the pot to a tall, thorny tree in the forest. His His young son saw this and followed him. Anansi couldn't climb the tree and hold the large pot, and no matter how he tried, he would fall to the ground, which his son laughed at. His son then said, why don't you tie the pot behind you? That way you'll be able to grab the tree. Like, duh. Duh. And he was so annoyed by his failed attempts and the realization that his kid was right that the pot slipped. 
And when it crashed to the ground, all the wisdom that he had stored inside of it spilled out. Soon after... the meaning behind that story... Hold on, I'm not done. (laughs) A storm arrived, and the rain caused the wisdom to wash away into the nearby stream, carrying away the wisdom, spreading it around the world. This made Anansi angry, but eventually he had an, an epiphany and said, what's the use of all that wisdom if a young child still needs to put you right? So he realized that wisdom should be shared by all. Oh, I was going to say something on lines of, mind your pride. <laughs> oh, I mean that too. Don't In be other- too prideful. You yeah. could be wrong. In other versions of the story, Anansi holds the wisdom in a gourd, but ke- it keeps spilling out. And in others, he has no sun and the tree is a silk tree, so it's too slippery to go up. I don't know. Yeah. Silk doesn't come from trees. No, it's a silk tree. I've That's never heard of a silk, of silk tree. It's, I don't oh, think, I don't okay. It's real. I don't know. Don't ask okay. me. I, I just report what I read. <laughs> so he's a spider right and there's even a story about how his head became so small and his bottom so large because you know spiders have those big Mm -hmm. big round bottoms um (laughs) big round (laughs) bottoms uh one day a famine came and anansi told his family he would get food so they wouldn't starve he went to a stream and met spirits who were draining the stream's water with their skulls in order to catch fish. Huh. He asked if he could join, and they said yes. The spirits can you asked, take your skull off? <laughs> the spirits asked if he would remove if he could remove his head as well, so he could join, so he could get fish too. He said yeah, and they gave him his skull so he could join them. While he drained the water, they sang a beautiful song, and Anansi asked if he could sing along. They allowed him and sang as they drained the river. The spirits gave Anansi his own share of fish in a basket and restored his skull, but warned him to never sing the song again or his skull would fall off. He sings it again, doesn't he? He agreed, but later he heard them singing and sang along. It's one of those things, you know, you listen to a song and then you hear it and you're like, and it gets in your head. Good song. And then you hear it later on, you're like, yeah, I'm jamming to this, and you start singing it. his head fell off. (laughs) He asked them to fix it, and they did, but they told him if he sang the song again, they wouldn't help him. And yet, as soon as they left, when he heard them singing it, he sang it again. His skull detached again, and before he hit the ground, he caught it with his rear end and fled down the riverside. And that's why he has a small head and large bottom. He caught it with his rear end. Yeah, he's a spider. Oh, okay. That makes more sense because I'm thinking like human, human version he's a spider. and his head came off. <laughs> I'm like, the physics doesn't work. <laughs> I don't know. Some people, if they got the, you know. True. If you have those nice wide hips, I mean. I definitely have those hips, but I do not have the ass. <laughs> true true i don't have the genetics for that it's funny because i was just telling my mom i was like i have these giant like childbearing hips but no but (laughs) yeah another story there was an african king who had the finest ram in the world when this ram happened to be grazing on anansi's crops one day he threw a rock at it hitting it between the eyes and killing it Anansi knew the king would punish him for what he'd done to the prize ram, and he immediately schemed to get out of it. (laughs) Because of course. Of course. Also, I know you said ram, but in my brain, I thought squirrel. Uh, 
Okay. And, like, he threw a rock at a squirrel and hit it in the middle of the eye. That mm-hmm. Some talent there. Ram, squirrel, not quite the same. <laughs> so Anansi went to sit under a tree and think of an escape when all of a sudden a nut fell and struck him in the head. That's why I'm thinking squirrel. I'm psychic. You know what? You are so <laughs> Okay. Anansi immediately had an idea. I had to read through it for a second. I was like, is there is there a squirrel? There's not a squirrel. There's not a squirrel. Um, so first, he took the dead ram and tied it to the nut tree. He then went to a spider and told it of a wonderful tree full of nuts. And the spider was so happy, he immediately went to the tree. But then Anansi went to the king and told him that the spider had obviously killed the prize ram. And... Uh, the ram was hanging from the tree where the spider was spinning webs. Mm. So, yeah. The king flew into a rage and demanded the death penalty for the spider. And the king thanked Anansi and offered him a reward. Anansi returned to the spider and warned it of the king's wrath, crying out to the whole world that the spider had killed the ram. The spider was super confused was like what the fuck are you talking about and he told the spider to go to the king and plead for mercy perhaps his life would be spared meanwhile the king had gone home for lunch and told his wife what happened and she just laughed and said uh how would a spider (laughs) how would a spider kill a ram how would a Um... spider make a thread strong enough to hold a ram like how in the world because could a tiny little spider hoist it up there like Anansi obviously killed your ram you should know that he's a trickster she's sitting here like bitch please you really believe this literally (laughs) and the king was angry that he'd been deceived and told his court to get Anansi immediately and when the king's men came for him Anansi assumed that it was to bring him to the palace for his reward for turning in the spider so he went along willingly Mm-hmm. He walked into the palace as if he owned the place and then said to the king, well, what's my reward for the killer of your ram? And this enraged the king so much that he kicked Anansi so hard, splitting him into two pieces, oh. meaning he was no longer a man, but a spider with long legs. Uh, 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 yes, I know. How does I that know. make sense? I don't understand that either. Kicked into two pieces and suddenly you're a spider with eight legs. Yeah, I didn't understand that either, but... um, Something is lost in translation I there. think there was something yeah Uh, yeah so this story um i just thought was really interesting Mm -hmm. so niame the sky god had three children isam who was night osirane the moon and oya the sun he raised them well and had them go out on their own they were successful but niame considered oya to be his favorite and wanted to make him chief he harvested a yam known as Kintinki in secret and decided that whichever son could guess its name would become chief and receive his royal stool as proof. And so I know what you're thinking, his royal stool, like, that's interesting. <laughs> but the stool is actually part of the um, Ashanti flag because they had this gold stool that was considered, like, sacred to them. And actually during one of the wars they had with the British, they technically lost the war but because they retained this stool they considered themselves the winner of the war that's actually a really cute story uh, yeah it was really interesting so he i don't know why but he blackened his royal stool and asked his subjects if any could guess what he was thinking 
Anansi was there and said he knew. I know, there must have been something lost in translation, but Anansi was there and said that he knew. Naomi told him to get his sons from the villages, so he left. But he didn't know what he was thinking. He had no idea. So he was like, I'm gonna find out, and covered himself with feathers from every bird, like every known bird, and flew above the village, startling the villagers. Niame, seeing the bird, quotes bird, but not recognizing it as Anansi, said that Anansi would know the name of this bird, for he knew that Niame wished his son to receive his stool and would give whoever could guess his yam's name the seat. Anansi, overhearing the plan, flew away and visited each son, only telling them their father wanted to see them, not telling them about the yam. Okay. First, Isam, who gave him roasted corn as thanks. Then, Azrain, who gave him yam as thanks. And Awaya, who told him he would treat Anansi the way he would treat his own father and give him the best sheep to eat. In return, Anansi decided to tell Awaya his father's plan and the name of the yam and created a drum that, when you hit it, sounded like the name of the yam so he wouldn't forget it. Once all the sons were home... Naomi held an assembly and told them why he brought them there. The first two sons couldn't guess the name of the yam, but because of of Anansi banging the drum, he remembered the name. Mm. Oh, but because of Anansi banging the drum, Oweya remembered the name. He punished his other two sons. Um, Isam, Knight, would have evil things done during his time. Osrain would only have children frolic during his time. And I know... I, I guess it's like, uh, you get the shit, the little shit. You shits. only have children frolic? What's wrong with frolicking children? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, uh, Oweya was named chief, and Naomi said any issue would be settled during his time, and he gave him a rainbow to protect him from, from his brothers, and promised that it would remind his subjects who saw it that danger would not befall them. And lastly, he gave Anansi his blessing for knowing his inner thoughts and said that Anansi would be known as his messenger. So, you know, turn yourself into a bird and spy on people. That's what, that's what Reagan did when he killed all the birds and replaced them with. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Cecil. Okay, so there's this other one and I couldn't find anything else on it. I only found one source, but I thought it was really interesting. And I don't know the, like, what story, like, what, um, what you're supposed to learn from it. I guess, I don't know. I guess patience. I don't know. Maybe I'll figure it out once I read this. (laughs) (laughs) Once the land was ruled by a a witch named Five, Five declared that no one was allowed to say the word Five or else they would be killed. Five. 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 Now, five, five, so it was a time of famine, so Anansi came up with a plan to get food for his family, and he planted five yam hills and waited for someone to come along, and a guinea fowl passed by Anansi's house, and he said, excuse me, I can't count very well. How many yam hills do I have? So guinea fowl sat down and said, one, two, three, four, and the one I'm sitting on. Anansi became upset and said, you don't know how to count. Try again. And Guineafell said, how should I count then? And Anansi shouted, I have one, two, three, four, five, and dropped down dead. And the Guineafell ate him. You know, guineas are very aggressive, so I I can't believe that. (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay, this is my last full story. 
And honestly, it's one of my one of my favorites so far. Mm-hmm. In this story, Anansi went to Niame asking for one of his sheep so he could eat it. Yeah. Anansi told Niame that if he was allowed, he would bring a maiden from one of the villages as a gift. Niame agreed and gave him the sheep. And once he had prepared the sheep, Anansi searched for a village where only women lived. He gave, he gave each of them some of the sheep he prepared and married each each one of them oh hun yeah no. so no, no. aka no, no. no more maidens no no soon mm. however a hunter visited the village that anansi had settled in and witnessed what he was doing and reported it to naomi he was furious and had his messengers take all of the women in the village except for one who was sick at the time not sure what to do since she was the only one left anansi asked her she told him to gather a gourd and to bathe her. He would fill up the gourd with the water he'd used afterward, and that water would house all of the diseases that had afflicted her. Anansi obeyed his wife, and she became incredibly beautiful. When the hunter came back and saw this, he again reported it to Niame. His messengers again went to take her away, and he met them, and they told him what Niame wanted. He complied and showed them where his wife was, and they took her with them. But Anansi took the gourd with the water he'd bathed his wife in, and took a skin, and made a drum with it. That's disturbing. Uh, well, just, just hold on, hold on. <sighs> Took his skin and made a drum with no, it. No, a skin, just... not his skin. Oh, I heard his skin. No, a okay, skin. I'm just hearing things. I'm sorry. So Anansi made another drum, and he and his son began beating the drums and singing vulgar things and dancing. A messenger saw this and told Niame, who wanted Anansi to perform the dance for him, so he did, but said he could only do the dance around his wives and he needed his drum. So they brought him to his wives and Niame. Anansi's last wife decided not to dance along to the music when she saw the gourd his drum was made from. Yet, she was coerced into joining by Naomi in the performance. Before she could even do anything, however, Anansi opened the drum and tossed all the water from the gourd. All of the diseases that were once washed away returned and sickness fell upon the tribe. And this Aww. is how the sky god caused Anansi to bring all the illnesses to the world. And I thought that was really interesting. That is really interesting. That's also like a, ha, you thought you had one on me. I don't know. (laughs) You thought you had one on me. I proved you wrong. And I don't know why, but it just never really occurred to me that cultures would think of, you know, a reason why they had diseases or what caused them other than, like with Christianity, it's you're possessed by the devil. Let's exercise you but i never thought about work in other cultures it's like oh well this is what happened or this god did this and i just think that's really cool no that is super cool i actually really liked i really liked that last one i liked them all but i really liked that last one so there were even more stories like how jealousy came into the tribe and how anansi got a bald head or why anansi runs when he's on the surface of water not to mention all of the like the different variations and the ones from other places like the caribbean and one of the most interesting things to me about anansi is that because of the tradition of oral storytelling although the original stories may have changed over time or mixed with other stories they're still really really prevalent not only in ghana or west africa but like in general but in countries where enslaved africans descendants reside even Mm -hmm. if it's not super obvious in some cases 
Anansi was celebrated as a symbol of resistance and survival for enslaved people because Anansi is able to turn the tables on his oppressors with like cunning and trickery. Not to mention, it also gave them like a link to their home and mm-hmm. their past, their ancestry. The Jamaican versions of these stories are some of the most well-preserved because Jamaica has the largest concentration of enslaved Ashanti in the Americas. And now I wish I had added one now <laughs> that I'm thinking about it, but I was hoping to focus more on the ones that were more known in West Africa and Ghana specifically. Some names here that people might recognize that most likely came from this are Brother Rabbit or Aunt Nancy, mm-hmm. Anansi, mm-hmm. or Sis Nancy. Like All of these either directly stem from Anansi or similar African trickster spirits, even if they're a little different now. And I didn't put this up top, but the reason that I even wanted to cover this, the only reason I even heard about this was because a couple of months ago, like this has been on my list literally for months. A couple of months ago, I watched a TikTok by Afro underscore spiritual and he talked about Aunt Nancy, Aunt Nancy, mm-hmm. and he said in the southern U.S., Aunt Nancy is a blending of Anansi and North American Native folklore figure, Spider Grandmother, who I would also love to cover. He also said that in Hoodoo, Aunt Nancy is a weaver of opportunities and a gatekeeper of sorts, like between this world and the next and the heavens and the earth. In Hoodoo, mm-hmm. it's believed that if you see a spider, it's Aunt Nancy showing you the opportunities that may be coming your way, but there's a trick. If you kill the spider, you close the door on that opportunity. Oh, that's good to know. But I just However, thought, I don't like killing spiders. Me either. I just let them outside. But yeah. I thought, like, I literally had uh, spiders living in my windowsill for months, and they, like, grew egg sacs and had a bunch of little babies, and it was cute, mm-hmm. but my parents didn't like it. Um <laughs> But yeah, I just thought this was a really, really interesting story, and I love the way that it's changed through all of the different places that, like, descendants of Ghana have, like, gone. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. But that was my story. (laughs) I was going to say something that I absolutely love that we keep coming and encounter with in every different place that we visit, whether it be the Americas or Europe or Africa or Australia or Russia, is just the native legends Mm. and how those legends have shaped the culture as it is today right and then give them like a link back to their ancestry and i Mm -hmm. think that's so cool i just i love it so much like i really do but yeah that's that's super cool yeah that's so cool all right so thank you all so much for listening if you enjoyed that if you didn't if you didn't you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Miss Misfortune, or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes will pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. And please, please, please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Subscribe. And thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, guys. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye.